I'm naturally intimidated by this task, which leads us to prayer. Lord, thank you for breath of life. This moment that you have been graciously so kind as to extend to us the opportunity to open the scriptures and hear directly from you. We know because your word tells us that there is a, a special dynamic and blessing of your spirit when we gather together in your presence to fellowship around the bread of life. And so now we look to him in dependence, in hope, necessary and usually it is in repentance. Mm -hmm. And we're just we're just asking you to attend your word to our heart and let everything else pass from our mind. And protect me from the errors I'm so prone to make and bless the reading and explanation of your word into our hearts. Well, we're stuck in the letter to the Ephesian church down in Greenville. And that's a pretty good predicament <laughs> to uh, to have. And I've, I've sort of, even for me, I've tapped the brakes a little bit as we've gotten toward the end of chapter three. If you remember, that's kind of where we're going to be. You can put a little thumbnail there. and I might pop around some uh, for various reasons. But that was the gist of our time together during your ordination. I trust that... Uh, that, I mean, really, that's, if you look at the New Testament, you sort of divide it in sort of a literary half. The letter to the Ephesian church is kind of like right square in the middle. Hmm. And if you look at the letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, hmm. is right there. And it contains that quintessential truth that, the most important thing in our lives as believers toward the glory of God is to receive power from God to understand and apply the love of Christ. I mean, that's the gist of the most dynamic prayer in the New Testament, where we, as formerly hostile, rebellious, wicked, undeserving is putting it mildly that we have received the nod from God, the grace from God, the favor of God, and the strength of God to, that word in there uh, literally means to apprehend or to comprehend, the, I would that you would apprehend the love of Christ. And so that you know, that sounds, I guess, as I hear myself say that out loud for like the hundredth time in the last two months, that sounds sort of, uh, okay, well, that's, I'm, I'm glad that the most important thing is not that difficult to comprehend. Even a child can understand that, that the most important thing is love, to receive the love that God has for us in Christ and to extend, extend that same kind of love to others. And it is simple. It's just the hardest doggone thing to do in the world because we prefer ourselves. We, we 
we love uh, we love us some us, you know. We we love us some us, and that 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 willingness. I think it's one of the reasons Jesus goes into things like uh, you know, love your enemies. We talked about that 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 morning. Love love your enemies, and there's this idea that it's the love of God in Christ is something above and beyond what we understand love to be. So he stretches us into this uh, uncomfortable paradigm of, of, you know, making hard choices, you know, loving your enemies, you know, literally, yeah, oh, God bless them. No, that's fine. I mean, that's, but literally being at the point that Christ was willing to pour himself into the life of his enemies for their betterment. You know, I, I mean, I don't, long introduction. How does he have a conversation with somebody while he's hanging on the cross? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know what that is, right? We know what that is, that he's he's got nails jammed in his hands, and he's the only way he can get a breath is to push himself up on the nails in his feet. Or was it one nail, whatever it was? And 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 so it's a slow process of suffocating agony. And here he is going back and forth with this sinner who had every bit with to, who had every bit with him to do being there. He's there for that very reason. And, and he can say, all right, well, you know what? Let's have a conversation about your soul. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I just... It astounds me that that's the model. And then Paul says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you. Well, there's going to have to be some kind of miracle that's going to have to happen. That's that's the, the fundamental reality is that we have been called into a what worthy of calling? Where, where would you call? We've been called into a calling that's as impossible as our initial salvation was. And what's interesting is we we accept the miracle of our new birth and our co-crucifixion with Christ and our resurrection with Christ, and then we kind of go back to solving problems and living life and making choices the way we did when we were unbelievers. I'm, I'm, that's, that's, if I'm not paying attention, that's exactly what I do. If you cut me off in traffic, <laughs> have you ever seen a pastor shoot a bird? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, it. if I'm left to myself, I know the way to the gutter fast because I was converted at 24. Plenty of sin under the, under the bridge. And for us to be called, and he constantly in chapters one, two, and three, not just praise, but references the essential need of God's power to live the life that we've been called to live. It's uh, it's quite miraculous, really. I just want to read some. Just debating whether I was going to read. From the ESV, which I love. What 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 do y'all have a like a that's what it's a one. translation up here? Whichever one you want. I don't want to step on anybody's just tell, just tell me what you I'm, want to read out of the message. 
Well, that's that was a joke. <laughs> 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 I'm just paying, paying attention. <laughs> oh, what do we? What do you read? NASB. Uh, yeah, I love that little app. Yeah, great, man. I use that all the time. Good. And uh, but I'm on. I'm going to back up a little since we were in chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-one, and I've just sort of summarized that for you. Let's back up. And go all the way back to the first verse of chapter three. I'll give you a second to get there. I know with our phones and stuff, it's y'all still use. I don't know if anybody in my church left bring. I, I don't know if anybody else brings a Bible. It's all I know. I see I'm in the right place, but I'm just saying everybody's you know clicking right to it. You know, I'm saying, can you? I'm trying to turn to it to get to myself, and they're always sitting there with their phones. Oh, well, we're ready. We were there. <laughs> I mean, I still do, you know, that. I'm like antiquated in some kind of previous time warp or something. And uh, so I'm going to back all the way up, give you the sort of gist of the, you know, you know, Ephesians is divided into two major sections. The first three chapters are doctrine, sort of a, a theological explanation of their experience. To, to, to say it simply. And then the last three chapters are the, the working out of that theology. This is this is what you do with that. that it starts in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called. So the first three chapters are doctrinal. Second three chapters are applicational. Chapter 1 is a Bucket of cold ice water mm. on a hard heart or a cold soul. Uh, <clears throat> he delineates the blessings adoption, forgiveness, atonement, uh, uh, just this, uh, you know, just this, this real, uh, you know, uh, uh, forgiveness. These things that he lavished, that's, that's a, the best translation of that word, deliberated. He lavished all this. He took you from where you were and he's brought you into this and he's lavished. And not only that, he's elevated you. He hasn't just forgiven you and positionally made you okay and taken you technically out of the crosshairs of God's wrath but he's elevated you up into his family and given you not only his, his image, but his likeness, his, his heart, his nature, just like the greatest. That's the, the, the epitome. And he's elevated you, seated you together with him in heavenly places where he rules over all. And then the other thing that you might miss about Ephesians, if you're not really paying attention, is that there is this constant reference to the primary target of testimony by the church, and it's not the community. It's the principalities, powers. It's the, it's, it's not that the community's not, I'm not saying too many things not viewed, but in Ephesians, he's talking about the prime directive of the church to manifest the wisdom and glory of God to shame the principalities and powers that are adversaries of God in the heavenly realms. It's a, it, and, and I'll just point that out to you. Now, maybe tomorrow or next time you're 
scrolling through your Ephesians reading or whatever, just make a little mark. And every time he mentions that dynamic, that reality, first in chapter one, he raised Christ and seated him above all the principalities and powers. So anyway, let's uh, let me read. <clears throat> For this reason, I, Paul, and there's a really good reason. There's a really good reason for that, too. Like the Smothers Brothers, I never get to the end of something. So, <laughs> the, 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 uh, there's a really good reason for that. And I, I, I was explaining this to the church this morning. I know y'all, y'all, y'all gonna laugh at me and not believe this, especially you, Mark, but the, the, uh, I, I was trained when I was you know, a young man. Growing up, I was trained in the martial art of judo. And you, I'm going to tell you why I liked it. The secret of judo, I'm not even sure how it got that name. But anyway, the secret of judo is you use the aggression of your adversary against them. It's a, it's a whole, it's almost like a ballet. It's like a, almost like a dance where you learn to recognize certain tendencies of violence and aggression and, 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 and that unrestrained violence coming at you is very manageable if you are calm and you know what, and, you, and you're trained. And that's, it's a good picture of he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He's, I mean, all this aggression, all this anger, all this hatred, all this arrogance and certainty. Oh, this is your plan. Okay, I can handle this plan. And just, you know, and you know, the picture in Revelation of him poised when the woman gives birth to the child. He's just, oh, so full of himself and so cocky and so sure that this God can be defeated. And then he comes into Nazareth, weak. Right, comes dirty town, not much reputation, you know, born in a manger in Bethlehem, kind of, you know, and his whole life was a was a clear picture that was unexpected. It's not what you, it's not certainly how how we would not, but it's not how we would go about solving the problem, right? Yeah, not how we would go about solving the problem. You know, I always like it. You know, people struggle with this in. in Academic circles, you know, it's like when you would heal somebody, he would say, Eat that to yourself. Hold that down. What would we do? Go tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's what we would do. They've tried to force, forcibly make him a king. Just slide all out of there. Right? Yeah. Unexpected, upside down. Everything's Everything is, and, and it's really, if you look at the Old Testament, you see this manifestation of God dealing with the impetuous child of Israel and their obstinance and their rebellion. And there's this sort of, you know, do this and you be blessed. And if you're blessed, you get money, you get crops, you get cattle, you get all this. And if you're cursed, you get famine, you get disease and blah, blah, blah. And then when you come into the New Testament, you get a little picture of it, though, from time to time, like in the book of Job. You get a little snapshot of where real blessing lies. You know, you got like two chapters where he's rich and 40 chapters where he is totally debased, and that's where the glory is. Isn't it? That in his suffering, in his weakness, 
when everything that he could have depended on was taken away from him, he portrayed the dependent trust. I know that in my, all that matters, taken all the way, I know in my flesh, I wish to God. Weakness was exalted. And that was a prefigurement. And it's snapshots every now and then. You know, he's led like a lamb to the slaughter, the prophecies of Christ, and so on and so forth. But it's all turned on its ear, and the virtues, first three beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. That's weakness. That's what that is. That's the poor, a, poor, a person who's poor in spirit is weak. They're weak, and, and that void is filled by God's power. It's filled by God's strength. But you don't get that feeling if you act like or presuppose that that weakness is not there. It's all about, it's all about the open, honest, authentic confession. I am a weak person. I am a sinner. I don't have anything to offer here. By your grace, I have the new nature that desires to please you, but I don't have any capacity to do that. you got to help me. I'm poor in spirit. Right? Mourning? You mean you're blessed? If you, you know, there are people who, in the church. I'm just telling you now. I'm sure you run across this. There's people in the church that a lot of people will not even display any kind of sadness because they feel like sadness itself is a sin. And there Jesus is saying, blessed are those who grieve and mourn and weep. This life has plenty of fodder for deep grief. And if you act like you're not going through what you're going through, God can't help you. If you're trying to just put a good face on it, you know, whatever, you, you, you don't qualify because you're, you're expressing self-sufficiency, and God does not bless that. He blesses emptiness, weakness, meekness, poor spirit, right? Grief, meekness. You know, meekness is, I don't know if you know this or not. You should, I'm sure you do. Meekness is humble and quiet obedience when the context of that obedience is the raging storm against it. And that's the picture of meekness is he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. That's meekness. He's not trying to impress you. He's not trying to impress me. He's not trying to impress anybody. He's not looking anything for anything except the pleasure of his father's heart. And his father has revealed to him, this is how you're going to do this. And he doesn't care. The enemy in the unseen realm doesn't care. I'm, I'm, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you throw at me. I don't care what pressure comes against me. This is my modus operandi, and I'm sticking to it. That's meekness. And it, now, here's where it sort of shifts a little bit. That looks... You know, it, that that has the appearance of weakness, but you begin to see in meekness that what we perceive to be weakness is strength. Make sense? That's just, that's how the New Testament rolls. And, and then it's, there's like a, Ephesians is like a, a literary, what's that thing at the fair that sits you, you know, it's, Ephesians is kind of like that topic <laughs> It goes from that blessing and that exaltation of Christ. Then in chapter two, it's like, and you 
Wait a minute. Let's talk about you. Let me talk about who God's blessing here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a rebel. You were a wretched, rotten, malodorous sinner, an offense. You were not a waste of space. You were an offense. And it is you that he made alive. And you could almost, he could have almost stopped right there and cut straight to chapter four and said, okay, Walt Worthy. That, that's a, that, you got those two paradoxical realities of the blessing he's given you in Christ. He's forgiven you, he's adopted you, he's elevated you up into his. You know how mysterious that is that you are in God's family? You don't, we don't even comprehend what that means. You're in God's family. If you're born again, you have, your life in Adam has died. And you've surrendered your essence in Adam to the cross. And, and God has taken that and crucified you with Christ, raised you. But you are in God's family. It's just profound. And, and so there's that. And then when he comes up into, so it's sort of like blessing, chapter one, and then sort of the, the identity and plan, sort of, you know, because it's in chapter two, last part of chapter two, is he talks about what this identity in Christ has accomplished is there aren't there aren't stratas anymore. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free. You who were far off, you've been brought into the kingdom of Israel and made citizens co-heirs, co-fellows, co-brothers in this. And, and then he finishes by saying, let me tell you why God did this. He constructed, he tore down this middle wall of separation and made the Jew, and the, which is the most acrimonious illustration of a division that exists between, you know what's going on now, right? The most acrimonious uh, illustration of hatred that exists and broken that down, what? By love. Broken that down by sacrifice. By love in himself to create one new man. One new, not just one new man, but one new body. And not just one new body, but one new building. And the whole purpose of this here building is to house the presence of Christ. That's the end of the chapter two. And then because of all of that, he... He start, actually, he starts the prayer in Ephesians 3.1. He says, is Karen there? It's uh, for this good reason. It, there's a, a lexical connection to charis, which is grace. Mm -hmm. he, he says, for this good reason, and you see in chapter 14, he says, let me get back to what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. Karen, for this good reason, I bow my knee. So there's a, it's like a parenthesis in, uh, in the letter. And what he's doing in that parentheses is he is demonstrating to the church that there is not only a plan from chapter two, but there's a provision for them to be able to function within all this. There are teachers, there are apostles, there are, there are, there, the church has been given the provision of having no excuse to do what he's going to suggest after the prayer for love in chapter three to Walt Worthy. So the whole thing is just this provisional masterpiece. And within it, you have all of this 
Paul is the king of redundancy without redundancy, right? That's my personal quote. <laughs> Paul is the king of redundancy without being redundant. He can say the exact same thing in a different way and in doing so, make you think about it freshly or more deeply or from a different angle. If you're not reading your Bible consistently, you are robbing yourself. Amen. You're robbing you're, you're you're cheating yourself out of the greatest treasure. And and listen, most of the time, some of y'all don't know me, so I'm bearing my soul up here. Most of the time, when I go to read my Bible, I want to do anything else, anything. Cut the grass. <laughs> the spirit is willing, but how many of y'all, just being honest, man, I can't wait to get down on my knees and spend that hour in prayer. I just, man, not me. But what happens when you do it? Grace comes, doesn't it? Man, I was thinking about coming up here and being with y'all now. Man, I don't, I don't do it there. I know y'all think. That's crazy, because y'all know y'all. <laughs> but it was just something. It's just, you never want to, the flesh is never going to want to do right. It's best, you're going to have, what you got to do is you got to take that cross and sear it by an act of your grace-infused will. You just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my duty. And I'm, a, I'm a, and see that's the thing is we understand love to be this sort of affection thing, and really it's more of an act of your will. It's more of a commitment. It's more of a point of loyalty. It's more of a point of duty. And what happens is when you commit your will to do the will of God, your affections will catch up. They catch up. Usually, I'm not saying you can't. You never aim at emotion. Never. But you're not dead emotionally. God made you with emotions. You're supposed to experience emotions, and and you and you will have them, right? You need to get that. No. <laughs> You'll have emotions. <laughs> You'll have emotions, right? I mean, y'all heard my faith back field illustration. Okay. First hours after I was saved. I know you have one. You don't count. <laughs> I, 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 right after I was first saved. The pastor that led me to Christ, led me to the fountain, and said, there it is. And man, I got washed. I got crucified with Christ. My, my life ended that day. My life ended for me. That was it. I knew it. Everybody knew me the next day. Knew it. That was it. Well, the pastor, he's beautiful, older. You know, I'm thinking about this now. He's about... At this time, he's about three years older than I am now. Yeah, He's looking 65, grizzled war veteran from World War II. Uh, just a very, very, very humble, but very strong guy. And he says to me, uh, he was in, there was two other uh, elders in there. And he says, uh, Mr. Johnson, uh, you stand up here. And uh, Mr. Newenberg, you stand up here. And he said, all right, let's all turn to the side. And he said, I, I'm sitting here like a, you know, he, he says, I'm Mr. Faith. 
from Mr. Faith. He said, Mr. Johnson here is Mr. Fact. And Mr. Nuremberg here is Mr. Thielen. Okay. He said, now here's what we're going to do. We got a journey to go on. And he said, the fact here, let's, let me interject into the illustration. He says, the facts here are just this. So he hands him the Bible. He says, this is it. This is all, this is all, this is all we got. And so wherever fact goes, you, faith, follow it. And so they started walking around the room. I, mean, I was like, man, they're, they're serious about this stuff. So they're walking around the room. And, and he says to me, he says, Bruce, what happens if I look back? Because, you know, Mr. Emotion, Mr. Thema's back here going, look at me, pay attention to me. I'm anger. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm all this, you know, whatever emotion you throw in there. Emotion demands immediate attention, right? But the eyes of faith are never called to look at back at their feelings. They're always called. And here's what here's the thing I remember most about the illustration. He said, "Now, you you realize this is a winding, narrow path we're on here." He's just throwing all kind of pillow progress stuff in there. I didn't know nothing. I'm like, whoa. And 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 he says. If I'm looking back here, man, I cannot see what's in front of me. This is the light. This is the fact. This is my this is my salvation. This is my lifeline. This gets me where I'm going. And the, and and he said. And then the second thing he said, I remember y'all use this for your kids. It's great. He says, "What happens when we get to the end of the journey?" And I was I was all on board by then. I said, "Well, if you." Get all the way to the end of the journey, you're gonna turn around and your feelings are gonna be right there where they always were. And he said, That's right. They'll come along, they'll they'll kick and scream. Sometimes they'll be good feelings, right feelings, sometimes they'll be bad feelings, sinful feelings, but they will always kind of fall in tow. Your key to to getting those emotions where they need to be is to stay. With the facts. Now you rob yourself reading this Bible. How are you gonna know that? You I've talked to before they say, I already know, I got that, I know what's right. I say, so how many times have you read the Bible? Well, I've never read the Bible all the way through, but I, I've read it enough to I get I get to just you do not know what's there. And there's there's a there's an arrogance there, a, an assumption there, a, a presumption there that you that you that's Inevitably, you're going to lean to your own understanding, and whenever you lean to your own understanding, you're going to cave to your emotions. And so, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on your behalf, here comes the parentheses. If, in fact, you have heard of the stewardship of the grace of God given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have written to you in short. Now, there's a lot of grief about that little phrase right there. I think he's just referring back to chapters 1 and 2. I think that's the straightest way to take that. <laughs> by which, as you read, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations had not been made known to men, but has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. 
This insight being that the Gentiles are to be joint heirs, fellow body members, and fellow partakers in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this I became a servant according to the grace of God given to me according to the working of his power. Just those first seven verses right there, you see, now, now this is a capable dude, right? Everybody knows that. Paul was pristinely trained in knowledge at the feet of Gamil. He was just super smart. And he's saying, I didn't figure any of this out. Smart, one of the smartest human beings probably that ever lived. I did. I read the scriptures like the Pharisees do today. I read them from sun up to sun down, and I did not see this. But God in his mercy shined the light into my heart, turned the light on into my mind. I don't have anything for you that I have not been given. Anything that I give you, throw away immediately. This is only the messenger here. That's it. So there's no see, there's no pride. There's no pride in that. There's no there's no possibility. John MacArthur has a great analogy. He says people train as pastors and teachers and ministers like they're training to be chefs. He said they need to train like they're being waiters. You're the waiter. I'm the waiter. I am not the chef. You do not want to eat what I've been cooking. <laughs> you just don't. It's a mess in there. You don't want to be up in here. It's a mess. But what God has revealed by grace and gifted by grace to be disseminated, bread broken among his people is, is both digestible and attractive and delicious. So you don't want to deviate. You, this probably would have been better ordination. Uh, sermon. You don't want to deviate. You don't want to have worse than. And here's the thing. That's why. That's why he brought this up. It's revealed. It's not apprehended. It's given. It's okay. Apprehended is a good word. Anyway, but here's the thing. When the meal is bad at the average restaurant, who gets the grief? The waiter. <laughs> That's right. How many waiters and waitresses have you seen unjustly chewed out because the food was bad and they didn't have nothing? Just brought it to the table. Just brought it to the table. And I, and look, if y'all get mad at me, and probably if you get mad at me, I step with y'all's crowd. If y'all get mad at me, I've stepped off line somewhere. But if you get mad at me because I tell you you're a wretched, rotten sinner and you need help, something wrong with you. That's something wrong with you. Paul said, I've just been given this gift. And he emphasizes it in verse 8. He said, I am, the, and, and people confuse this too. They say, Paul's just blowing smoke. I am the least of all of the saints. Elsewhere he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. And elsewhere he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. And, and Paul, this now, as his office requires and writing scripture as he's doing this, he cannot lie. He is telling us in verse 8, this is exactly how I, the chief apostle to the Gentiles, this is how I see myself. I see myself as the most needy. I see myself as the most sinful. I see myself as the most unlikely 
choice for this job. I persecuted the church. I was out of my mind, half cocked and crazy with anger. And I tried to stamp the church out. And God said, I'm going to show this dude right here what great things he must suffer. That makes me shake every time I say it and every time I read it. Right? Because God has called you and me to fill up his the measure of his sufferings. When you're called into grace, into Christ, and you give your life to him, you're resurrected into him to walk the same path he walked. Let this mind be in you. And if you avert if you avert, divert, go around, go under, go over the thing, the relationship, the person, the trial that God has sovereignly ordained, it'll just be waiting on you there around the next bend. Because God has called us into his fellowship. And listen to this. I got this promise in the New Testament for you about here. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Where's the pressure in your life? Where's the where's the trip? Where's the tribulation? Where's the difficulty? Where's the trial? Where's the where's the you know the salmon swims out from the great waters in the Pacific up miles up into the rivers of the canyons and starts off all flat, plump, plump and juicy. And by the time they get up there to spawn and do all their stuff up there, they're just like little shells of themselves. That's what. In this world, what did Jesus say? You will have trouble. If you don't have your eyes open and know what's coming, I don't mean this in a degrading way. You, you're at, you're, your head's not in the game. If you're trying to explain away trouble because God's people don't experience trouble, if, you, if, you're, not, if you're not experiencing perfect blessing and prosperity, then something's wrong with your faith. Well, you're an idiot if you think that. And you can't, you're illiterate because nothing in here says that. It's all about the journey, and it's all about the quality of the. And there's points of respite. Man, I got a wife in there. It's, I mean, God gives you the rest you need when your lines need to fall in pleasant places. He knows what you need. But what I'm saying is, the general flow of life in this world is hard, and we need the provision of men like this, men like you, men like you. I don't know all y'all, but you need. The grace of the provision of God for somebody who's going to plainly divide the word of truth and just tell you the truth. Just tell you the truth. It's what you need. It's what I need. That's the stewardship of the mystery that we have. We have the we have responsibility, he says that to me, the very least, all the same, same grace, give a preach to the Gentiles. Uncertain, that's another big theme in the first three chapters, wealth. But it's unusual, it's unexpected, it's not worldly wealth, it's real wealth, it's treasure that doesn't rust. To enlighten everyone what this stewardship is, that comes from the Greek word. Oiko, which is the word for house. The word steward, steward comes from the word house. It's stewardship. It's a, King James gets that wrong. It's not fellowship. That's koinonia. It's stewardship. We are stewards in the church of the most valuable thing that exists. And that is that same guy that gave me that fact, faith, and feeling illustration. 
He, I heard him say in a sermon one time, when Jesus, listen, listen, when Jesus Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Man, that's solid. Any man deny himself, follow me. You take his cross. Take his cross. If you love your life in this world, you're gonna lose it. You hear that? If you love any, if your affections are in this world, and you love this world, and you prioritize this world over the next world, you're gonna. This is all. This is your best life now because this is all you're getting. But if you lose your life, find it. Unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and it remains alone. But if it dies, it. That's that's what that's what we're stewardships of. That's what we have stewardship of, buddy. That's why Peter said, "Be sure you call to teach before you go doing that, because uh, stricter stricter judgment." I'll try to get to the end. Seven thirty. And Kai, this is the man. He did this. He, oh, remember I told you about the principalities and powers. A lot of that in here that the, your first line of witness is when you're by yourself and nobody's watching, they are. <laughs> they are watching. They are watching. So that here's what he says this is the purpose that I've been given to Paul saying, this is the purpose I've been given to stewardship the gospel to, to instruct you Gentiles. This is why this is the this is the aim of all this in God's mind. This is the goal of all this in God's mind. So listen to this, just listen to me, you read it later. Listen, this is so that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies by the church. That's your mission statement. That's why you got to pray for power to understand love. Because you're not trying to put on a show. You're not trying to be the biggest, the brightest, most polished. You're being honest. You're being humble. You're being forthcoming about who you are and what you're struggling with. You're asking God to help, and you're joining up arms, and you're asking God to help together, and you're waiting on that help from heaven, and you will not accept any counterfeit, nothing else. And you recognize that if God is not opening the eyes of people that bear witness to that testimony, that they just can't see it, and they're going to laugh at you. <laughs> they're going to laugh at you. Worse. We'll see worse. I'm confident. We'll see worse than we're seeing now. Better button up. That's why all when we were out at sea, as a military, we were out at sea, we spent all the calm time getting ready for the bad time. Battening down stuff, making sure stuff was working right, going through emotions, going through security details, going through, you know, target practice, whatever we had to do to get ready for when. Does you know what hit the you know what? That's 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 what we did. This is according to the purpose of the ages. Go back to chapter one, verses nine and ten, and see how that corresponds there later. In whom we have listen to this verse. In whom this is Christ. In whom we have straight forward. That's the Greek word for plain and simple. In whom we have straightforward access to him through faith from him. <laughs> That's a very when you get in, when you dig into the Greek and you really hash that out, you see that the faith you have, you don't muster up. It's like it goes back to 289. This not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, faith from him. 
Nobody musters up faith. I always say, you know, uh, if you were, if, you, if this crucifixion thing is right, and your life that you were given at birth has to come to an end, has the, its ruling power, its life source, its nature has to be killed, and you have to, by the grace of God, you have to be down with that because the sin of your life has burdened you so heavily that you're willing for anything to take that off of you. That's what happened. That's the purpose of the law. That's what the law does. Gets you to the point where you, where you, and even still, you know, baptism, we're baptized with him into his death. So that's what baptism has exactly people are all confused about baptism. It's simple. Well, I don't want to be sprinkled with that. I want to be, I want to go down. And here's the thing: your life in Adam has to end. So he's going to hold your head under, under the water till you breathe in. Because you'll come up if you left you. You, if you go underwater, you're going to try to get up and get a breath. You can't. Your you has to end. Has to come all the way. And that's I see about, I don't know what the percentage is, big yes, but I think it's a big percentage of people are trying to live the Christian life and they've never died in Christ. They're trying to live the Christian life in some sort of semblance of their own strength. Their own rule. That's why they invent their rules and their languages and their clothes and the music they listen to, it all becomes sort of this external polish that never gets that old nature of yours is like a tick. And up here in these parts, y'all know what that's like. That's a, you got, that old nature does. And I hit, I hit ticks with a hammer before they still live. True. Well, your nature is worse than that. Your wicked, sinful nature in Adam. Is worse than that tick ever thought about. You have to die. Faith from him. Therefore, I ask you, and this is a humble statement at the end of the chapter. Therefore, I ask you, don't, don't lose heart over my suffering. It's for your glory. Everything, and basically, what Paul is saying in that statement is, and, and I will only aspire to this because, like I told you, I didn't want to get out of bed from my nap and come up here. <laughs> What a sinner, right? But I aspire to this. And he's basically saying all the sacrifice and tribulation and suffering that I'm going through right now, we're linked together. And when Christ is glorified in me, he's glorified in you. Mm -hmm. I, everything I'm doing, I'm doing for you. Get over yourself. Defer to others. Consider others more important than yourself. So chapter three is a provision. The first half of the chapter is a provision. The second half of the chapter is a prayer. So you have blessing, purpose and plan, salvation and the elevation of the Jew and the Gentile, the oneness there. Then in chapter three, you have the, the provision of God to the church for humble men to teach the word of God. And then you have that really exemplified in how Paul prays. You know, I've, I've been to a couple of prayer meetings. Yeah. And I don't hear people praying like this. People are always just wanting to be physically well. Heal this, heal that. Let them get over the, and I And that's fine. There's one New Testament verse where John says, I pray that your physical health will match your spiritual health. That's it. In the in the epistolary section, 
of how will you pray? One. So it's okay. But our prayer lives and our corporate prayer time together should not be dominated by who's sick. That's wrong. We should be praying for strength and power to understand the revelation of God and the love of Christ and to go and imitate that in all of our trouble and all of our difficulty and all of our trial. We need the love of Christ. You're going to die physically. I'm going to say this. Every single person that Jesus healed is now dead. <laughs> right? How important can that be? What 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 manner will my death glorify God? I'm just going to give you the biblical perspective on this because I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll, man. <laughs> Paul said, "I don't know which is better to stay here. I can't. I I know that this provision of the teaching and leadership is needed." But I'd rather be with him. I'd he's saying, I'd rather be dead. Because God is not the God of the dead. He's God of the living. I'd rather be um, He, And he's not throwing a platitude out there to show how spiritual mature he is. That's an expression of his true heart. He, and we do any and every. We worship health. We, in our prayer lives, it shows that we're worshiping. A lot of times it just shows that we're more consumed with being well than we are with being spiritually mature. Mm -hmm. Listen to yourself. That's why when I go into prisons, I always tell those guys, especially for the testimony fact of it, because those guys are under pressure, real pressure. They're believing, Christ-loving men. They've linked up their a weak little band of believers. And I tell them, when you pray, pray out loud. A lot of benefits to that. Pray out loud because when you pray out loud, you have to listen to your stupid self talking. And you will hear when you are asking for something selfish. And what James says, you don't have because you don't know what to ask for. When you do ask, you ask for selfish reasons. And that's why God is good. He's not going to give you what you ask for because it's not what you should be asking for. And he would not be good if he didn't. So don't stop asking for it. <laughs> that's why I, don't do that. That's what he says. Don't, it's not about life here. It's about testimony here. And life. That's enough for me. Amen. Right. I'm out. Peter, you can pray for us.